What's happening? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing really good, man. Happy birthday. I know you got a, a big birthday coming up this weekend, and, and you've been doing some celebrating in your home studio. I see you jamming out all the time. Thank you. Yes, that's right. We're uh, we're celebrating by getting our work in. <laughs> it's been a, a, a grueling schedule, but I'm loving it. Uh, we literally have, I've just gone about, what, three and a half weeks without any days off at all. Uh, working five days a week in the rehearsals, you know, for this tour coming up. And uh, on the weekends, making our way out to different fan conventions. Uh, we were in Chicago last weekend. We were in uh, Denver the weekend before that. So it's been a pretty much nonstop grind. But that's it. And we just shot a music video, uh, what, two days ago. Uh, so it's literally been one thing on top of another. But it's all positive energy. It's all love. And it's all to support my new exciting album, Love Left 2, Army With Love, and my new box set, Love Left 2.1, which features the brand new single, Without You, which comes out on my birthday. So there you go. It's all full circle. Yeah, I know a lot of our listeners, of course, fell in love with you back in the day, Goonies and Stand By Me. But I, I got to tell you, when I was listening to the music, I'm going to play a little clip here from your new single, Without You. This is, this is my favorite part. Uh, from the new single, Without You, from our guest, Corey Feldman. Here it is right here. Oh, there it is. Here comes that guitar solo. I'm curious, Corey, if this is you right here. It sounds like Eddie Van Halen possibly could be playing these notes. My talented, uh, my talented guitarist and co-writer, co-producer, his name is Greg Sartiano. Brilliant guy, and he will be live with me on stage when we're touring this summer. So you'll get to hear that guitar solo live. But you've been doing music for a long time. I read that you released your first song in, in 1986. How, how many instruments uh, can you play well? Well, yeah, that's you, you said the last word there. That's the, the anchor. I don't play any of them well. <laughs> okay. I play them. <laughs> uh, but I consider myself more of a songwriter, a producer, and a performer. Uh, but that said, I, I, I noodle, I noodle and I, I play with stuff and I, you know, I definitely, you know, like on the tour, you'll see me playing a little bit of guitar. You'll see me playing the drums a little bit. You'll see me playing harmonica a little bit. So I do play a little bit of everything. I always say I play it all, but I don't play it all that great. Uh, um, but that's what I bring in, you know, the seriously talented musicians for, because I hear the melodies, I hear the note structure, I hear the you know, the the way I want to be envisioning this song or what, what adds the right spice, the right accent, the right flavor to a particular song or a particular moment. So I get that vision, I hear it in my head, and then I basically either play it out myself and then say, you know, can you do this better? Or I get musicians who are better in the first place to do their, you know, interpretation of it. So that's generally the way I work. Um, and you know, when you're on, when you're on the road and you're doing it live, you need kind of all hands on deck. So in those situations, I'll pick up a guitar myself and I'll strum along, but, but I'm never going to be the guy doing those incredible solos. That's always going to be left to the professionals in the room. Our guest here, Corey Feldman. If you want to check out more about Corey, follow him on Instagram. He's at Dog 22 He's also on Twitter and he'll be coming to a city near you. I saw a lot of influence. Uh, you had a song that came out about a year ago called Comeback King that, that I liked. It even had some rapping on it. It was pretty dope track. I, Thank I, you. I did see some uh, yes. Michael Jackson influence, though, when I was watching it from your ca <laughs> from your cadence to your dance moves um, to, uh, you know, just Thank even you. your, your presentation. Yeah, you, you were inspired by Michael, I'm assuming, right? You guys were friends. 
you know, listen, they, you get you get influences from all over the place. And certainly throughout my album, if you listen to any one of my albums, you're going to hear all sorts of influences. When you when you spend time with people, you know, and especially if there's somebody that inspires you, obviously they're going to rub off on you. And I was very lucky that I got to spend a lot of time around Michael as a kid. I was in the studio with him. We danced together. You know, um, he was a huge inspiration. In fact, my very first performance in front of a live audience was when I was 12 years old, and it was at the Rose Bowl, and I performed Billie Jean. I lip-synced Billie Jean, I should say, um, in front of 40,000 people. And it was in that moment when, you know, I had this crowd cheering and, you know, egging it on um, that I realized, there's a future here in this for me, uh, but I don't think I can make a career out of lip-syncing somebody else's material. So therefore, I need to figure out how to write my own music, I need to figure out how to write my own songs, and I need to figure out how to sing good enough to pull it off. So I went into a very um, hard, intensive, personal schedule of, uh, you know, self-guidance. I never went to school. I never went to classes for this stuff. I was self-taught. I, I worked very, very hard as a kid. I would lock myself in my room. Even as a child, you know, the way it all started, a lot of people don't know this. Everybody, you know, thinks, oh, well, you were an actor who decided to get into music later. But the fact is, I actually started as a singer who became an actor. So, you know, as a kid, my mom would stick me in a room and she'd say, go listen to this record and memorize it backwards and forwards and don't come out until it's done. Because... As a three-year-old trying to get auditions, it's not like you can go and memorize a script like you do nowadays. You know, when you're an adult, you know, they give you your size, you go and you learn it, and then, you know, you go in and you do your audition. But when you're a three-year-old kid, there is no size, and there's nothing to learn because they know that the kid can't read the script off the page. So instead, they'll have maybe the parents try to spoon-feed the words to them. Um, but on the flip side of that... You know, my mom would do something very innovative, and she would say, well, you know, look, you're a cute kid, you don't know how to read, you can't read the dialogue yet, but you can impress them with your cuteness, and the best way to do that is to go and sing. So that's why she would make me learn these songs, so that I could go and sing in the auditions, and that's how I would get my earliest roles. He's a uh, author, he's a singer, he's a producer, he does it all. My man, uh, Corey Feldman, you can find out more by going to Corey Feldman. .net. I know you've been a big advocate for sticking up for child actors. You had the My Truth documentary, The Rape of Two Corys, which I, I did uh, purchase and buy uh, when you dropped that in, in 2020. Did you have a chance to watch the... I did see it. I did I did see it. I watched the, the whole thing in its entirety. I, I was shocked at, at things that I heard, but then there was also you know rumors that we've been hearing. It kind of validated a, a lot of things that we have been hearing uh, the last few years. You even received death threats, I heard, and the server was shut down. Right. Have Have you had any interactions right. with Charlie Sheen uh, since all of this happened? Uh, no, not since. But, yes, there weren't just death threats. There was actual attempts on my life. Um, you know, there was a point where I got stabbed. They almost ran over me with a couple trucks. That was all in the movie. Uh, but... No, you know, um, when it got stolen, it was hacked, it was pirated, it was liquidated. Uh, it was quite, quite disgusting and quite awful because, you know, this was my life savings. You know, I, I put everything I had into that film, you know, and, and it was $1.3 million at the end of the day. That's what the price tag was. 
um, which, you know, we made some of that money back on pre-sales. But when they shut it down, obviously, a lot of people demanded their money back because they couldn't see the movie when they wanted to see it. Um, and on top of it, they took the movie and they pirated it, you know, and they liquidated it by putting it out everywhere for free. And uh, simultaneously, they built a copycat website where they were actually charging people $10 more than I was charging to watch my stream of the movie. So they sold our stream and then sold it back to our audience at a higher price. I mean, just terrible stuff, essentially stealing my voice. Um, so it was a very difficult time to get through. Uh, the one, I guess, bright side of it, or the, 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 I guess, you know, the glimmer of hope on it all was the fact that, A, we got some, some laws changed, which, you know, wasn't really necessarily because of the movie or part of the movie, but it was during the same time that I was doing that work. I was working with Child USA. I'm one of their ambassadors, and I was able to help change laws in New York and California to protect victims, to give them an opportunity to go back and get at least some, some civil justice out of the crimes that were committed against them. So there was that, which was a very positive piece of it. And the other positive thing is that the song, which was the title track for the soundtrack, became my first ever Billboard Top 20 hit. And that song is called You Are Free and is actually part of my new album, Love Left 2. It's on there. Uh, so, you know, uh, there was there was a few bright spots on the sun. But aside from that, it was a really rough time and it was very difficult. And no, I have not had any action uh, interaction with Mr. Uh, Sheen. Uh, that said, uh, I did receive a text from him a few days before the uh, the film came out saying, you know, I'm really sorry what happened to your friend and, and maybe uh, we can work something out. I think that was an attempt to get me to not release the film. Um, but in any event, uh, yeah, that uh, that was the last time uh, there was, and, and I don't even know for sure that it was him. You know, it could have been somebody just pretending to be him. We don't really know. But uh, but that said, you know, I've put it, I've put it behind me. It's in the past. And, uh, you know, obviously they didn't want the truth out. Uh, they worked very, very hard to shut it down. And at this point, you know, it, it's a couple of years behind me now. And it's best that I just move on because at the end of the day, I didn't, you know, I, I, I'm not a crime fighter. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a police officer. I'm not a judge. I'm not a DA. There's nothing I can do to, to do more. All I could do was tell my truth and tell my story and, and keep the promise that I made to my best friend. You know, I told him that I was going to do it. I did it. I got the movie out, and the truth was revealed, and, uh, and that's it. You know, and, and beyond that, um, I guess everybody's going to have to figure it out for themselves, and, and hopefully, you know, at some point, justice will be served. But you never know. When we when I think back to uh, all the the great movies from my childhood, I mean you're in a lot of them. Goonies, Stand by Me, Gremlins, they they all bring back a warm and fuzzy feeling for me personally and and I think I speak uh, on behalf of a lot of kids from the 1980s. When you think about the movies Goonies and Stand by Me and Gremlins and Lost Boys, do you, do you feel more joy or do you feel sadness because of all the abuse that happened? in and around that time in your life? Or do you have more great memories or bad memories from those times? Well, it's an interesting question. You know, at the end of the day, you know, understand that the, the folks that made those films with me um, were great. You know, there was no bad experiences. Like, you know, shooting Goonies was, was a, a joy. 
and it was a pleasure. And getting to work with, you know, people like Spielberg and Richard Donner and, you know, the whole cast, which, you know, of course, would go on to do so many great things from Josh Brolin to Sean Astin <clears throat> to Ki Hui Kwan, you know, everybody's gone on to do really great things. And, um, and, and you know, it's just so great. It's kind of like kind of like having a family and watching them grow up and and prospering you know um and being proud of your family members so you know whether it was that or whether it was stand by me you know of course there was the terrible loss of river phoenix and you know the loss of Corey Haim and, and the loss of these these dear friends of mine who unfortunately were taken from us far too early far too young but that said obviously these times were incredible obviously they were great moments in history and great bonds and relationships that were built or we wouldn't be missing them so much right so um obviously there was there was some great things that were established because of those films and like i said very fortunately no bad experiences happened to me because of the people involved with any of those films the only the only things that happened that were negative were uh, unfortunately on the set of Lost Boys, but they had nothing to do with the actual film's producers or the film's director or anything like that. They were all just as a result of careless behavior on the behalf of my parents. You know, they're the ones who put these bad people into my life, not the producers of those films, not the studios. So it's very important that you kind of, you know, place the blame where the blame should go and, and, and not have it mischaracterized or blown out of proportion. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, you know, this person or that person or, you know, uh, there's all these rumors going around about Steven Spielberg or this one or that one. You know, and I, I think like people just like to jump on a gravy train and like to say, oh, yeah, they're all bad. But, you know, my experience with these people was not bad at all. It was actually quite great. Um, but there are bad seeds and there are bad apples out there. And unfortunately, what happens is even if the good guys or the people that I worked with, you know, didn't know about what was going on, it doesn't feel like anybody wants to recognize it either. You know, because when I put the film out, you didn't see like this lineup of people that I worked with through the years standing with me and saying, oh, you know, he's a, he's a hero. He's a champion. We're, you know, what he's saying is true. We want to stand with him and, and rid this business of this terrible, toxic, you know, level of, of, of dysfunction. But instead, they just kind of turned the other cheek. Everybody looked the other way and acted like they didn't notice that my life was being destroyed as a result of trying to speak the truth. And that's the hypocrisy of it. And it's very sad. But again, as I said, you know, I'm grateful I'm still alive. I'm grateful to have my new box set out, my new album out. It's coming out Saturday for my birthday. It's a beautiful love song for my wife. We're getting to tour. We're going out and seeing everybody again and, and getting to share that live experience and really the message of love because that's what it's all about. So, you know, I'm staying focused on the positive, staying focused on love, and that's why I put out a big giant heart with, you know, six discs, four CDs, two DVDs, and a big collection of music and videos that nobody's ever seen before. You know, stuff going back to 1986 through 1993, plus my brand new album, plus it even includes a brand new hologram, which nobody's ever done before, but I actually have a hologram of myself that pops out of the box. It's all fun, it's all positive, and it's all love. It is. And that's what we should be focused on.
Love Re Tours yeah, concert. The, the, the tour kicks off August 17th. It runs through September 18th. Make sure you follow Corey Feldman on social media to find out when he's coming to a city near you. We're down to our final few moments. If you don't mind, the fans would like to go down memory lane. I just have like a few of your greatest scenes that we remember you from. And maybe if when I mention it, I'd like for you just quickly tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. One of the scenes from Stand By, okay. one of the scenes from Stand By Me that I loved uh, that comes to my mind is when uh, when you're in the junkyard and you jump the fence and you're like chopper kiss my ass choppy bite shit and then all of a sudden the dog actually does like get a hold of your your shirt what what was that day like of uh, filming and, and and having the dog on scene and and you really did give a great performance a lot of emotion um well i remember one of the things that struck me right away was how minuscule the dog was you know it was like wait a minute this thing's practically a poodle you know it was like a little <laughs> terrier or something and it was definitely not scary or intimidating, and especially given the fact that I had, you know, grown up around multiple dogs. My mom was involved in animal rescue, so, you know, we would have 10 dogs living with us at times. And, and at the current time, we had a, a giant black lab and an Irish setter and, you know, these giant dogs. So having this little dog, you know, going, you know, percolating at me uh, was kind of comical. It wasn't very scary at all. Uh, so I, that, that's where the acting came in, right? We had to act like we were terrified of this little thing. Um, and then on top of it, there was this, you know, very climactic, high drama, intense scene, which most kids probably wouldn't have been able to pull off. And it's not for the fact that I, I consider myself some great actor, but more for the fact that I went through such personal struggle, uh, trials and tribulations prior to that moment and, and leading up to it that I have a lot to pull from. So, you know, when you, you go back to the junkyard scene, I remember thinking, like, this is, this is you know, my chance to really shine. It's my chance to, to get that, you know, that, that really great independent film-type performance that you don't see in mainstream movies all that much. And especially as a kid, to have the opportunity to project those kinds of emotions and feelings. I felt it was really a great opportunity to shine if I could get it right. And for me, the way to do that was to just, you know, kind of go back to some of my earlier painful experiences as an abused child, as a kid who was bullied at school, and draw from that and bring that into my performance. So that's really what it was all about. I had Rob Reiner on maybe about six months ago, and he told me the story about the train and bridge scene where he said initially you guys weren't really the kids. He said they weren't giving him the motions he was looking for. He claims that he yelled and screamed at you guys and practically threatened your life. And you, all, all the kids, he said, got all upset, and then all of a sudden he rolled tape and got just the emotion he was looking for. Do you, do you recall Rob uh, doing that? Well, I don't believe that it was that day. I mean, I remember him, him yelling a bit on the train trestle scene, but I, the day that really stuck out to me was the one when we were in the swamp. <clears throat> we were having the fight in the swamp. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember there was a big fight between me and Will. And uh, it was something that Will held on to for years. He actually thought, you know, wow, you know, Corey, you know, was mad at me or hated me or whatever. Uh, and, 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 you know, I guess it was like some kind of a joke that I had said. And, and I thought it was, you know, kind of funny part of the movie. And it was, you know, Will took it personally or something like that. I don't remember the specifics, but I did, in, I did make amends with him. And I remember Rob 
really going off on us uh, around that scene and really being angry. Um, and I remember him yelling quite a bit. And then I remember, you know, being pretty shook up by it. And I remember him having a talk with a few of us afterwards to calm us down. So there were definitely some high caliber, you know, friction moments that, that came as a result of shooting those scenes. Uh, I don't remember it particularly around the train trestle, but I do remember uh, specifically around the leaf scene and the lagoon there uh, where things definitely got intense and, you know, we all kind of lost it a bit. I mean, you know, it was blazing hot. It was like 110 degrees out in the hot sun and, and trying to shoot these scenes. So it was a lot dealing with the forces of nature alone. We were all getting sunburned. We had to wear uh, uh, sea breeze on the back of our necks just to cool us down uh, during the hot shoots. And, yeah, it was intense. He had a leech hanging from his balls, for God's sakes. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's a rough scene. Right. Let's, let's move on to Goonies. That's that's good to hear. Uh, and Goonies, the scene that I think about is when you were the translator, and by the way, you're wearing a Prince shirt. I don't know if Prince was much of a musical influence for you, but uh, you're wearing the pur- no. purple purple rain shirt. That was, of course, the, uh, that was, of course, the the plugging of Warner Brothers and their new artist uh, that they were trying to push. But um, Michael Jackson wasn't too thrilled to come onto the set to see that. Every yeah, day. that's what I was I thinking. You. Uh, but, but he, he didn't ever mention it, to be honest. Uh, there was only, a, I think, one point where I said, oops, sorry about that. Just realized, you know, I'm wearing this print shirt around you every day. He's like, oh, it's okay. I understand. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. But the scene I remember, you were, you were wearing the pur- purple rain shirt, and you had to be the translator for the new housekeeper, Rosalita. You really nailed your Spanish back then, Mouth. Uh, had you practiced your Spanish leading up to that? Because the Coke is in this drawer the speed in this one, and make sure you se- separate the drugs, Rosalita. That, that was fantastic. Right. Well, obviously, that's not stuff that any kid at 11 or 12 years old would know about. Uh, <laughs> certainly how to translate it from one language to another. So, yes, no. Obviously, that was uh, you know only learned for the project and for the film. And then finally, the scene that I think is great from Goonies is uh, when you are on One-Eyed Willie's ship, the mean Fratelli brothers and Mama Fratelli, they finally catch you guys, and they catch Mouth with a mouthful of jewels and rubies and whatnot. And next thing you know, you have a long necklace of pearl coming out of your mouth. What, what do you remember about those days, and how long did you have to have all that stuff in your mouth? <laughs> well, the worst part was that it tasted awful. I, I, w- I would say uh, so. Because, you know, it's all, it, it, it's all you know, uh, plastic or uh, what, what is that? uh you know, the fake diamond amethyst or whatever. I don't know. I forget what the, um, uh, zirconium, zirconium, right? So, uh, but it's, but it's, it's fake jewelry. It's, 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 you know, plastic, you know, or glass or whatever, but, um, they had to spray it constantly with dulling spray, you know, to kind of take the glare out of it. So, I, I just remember it tasting really gross, and especially because it was in, you know, somebody's hands before I took it. And it was, just, yeah, it was not a pleasant experience. But that said, um, you know, uh, they kept giving me more and more to put in my mouth, and we had to keep doing the takes over and over. So it was not my favorite scene to shoot. And, Corey, you're a father. Are these movies things that you've watched with your kid, or are they movies that... When was the last oh, time sure. you watched Stand By Me or Goonies or Gremlins? Do you ever watch them to, you know, kind of relive those moments? 
I mean, when he was very young, you know, when he was like 11, 12, we would watch, you know, some of those movies. Like, certainly as a kid, he would watch Goonies or, or Fox and the Hound or things like that. But I, I kept, you know, the rated R movies until much later. So probably around, you know, 12, 13 is when I let him watch Stand By Me for the first time and Lost Boys and stuff like that. Um, and And that was probably the last time I watched any of them as well. Uh, I think maybe around the 25th anniversary of Stand By Me, when we did the Blu-ray and the commentary and all that, I had to watch it for that purpose um, to re-familiarize myself with it. So <clears throat> that was, I believe, the last time we watched it. Well, I look forward to hearing more of this album. Uh, I love the love that is in the new album, Love Left 2, Army With Love, the new single, Without You. We're going to give it a spin right now as we wrap up the interview. Uh, follow our guest at Sea Dog 22. Happy birthday, Corey, and thanks for being so generous with your time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out on the road so uh, com- coming up this summer. God bless you, brother. Later, brother. You too. I hope you make it to the show. I Thank will. You. Peace out, man. You were so bad. I thought I never really wanted. But then you took something inside of me.